Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On May 11th, Fidelity Investments Canada hosted Focus 2023, a day-long event for advisors featuring Fidelity's portfolio managers, subject matter experts, and thought leaders. Sessions ran both on stage in Vancouver to a live audience and from our Toronto studio for a crowd of thousands more online. On today's podcast, we're bringing you portfolio manager Mark Schmel's Focus 2023 discussion with host Pat Bolland. Mark is focused on the long term. He believes that inflation has peaked, and he's focusing firmly on owning companies for their expected earnings in 2025 and 2026. Mark shares that macro is very difficult to judge, and he is ignoring the recession concerns and is buying companies he believes have good fundamental strategies. Mark also shares today his thoughts on both growthier and defensive companies right now, and which ones fit into his various portfolios, and why. This includes unpacking his geographical investments in the US, Canada, and globally. Mark and Pat also field questions from the live audience. And speaking of that live audience, you will hear a few references to slides that were shown to the room in Vancouver. Now for more Focus 2023 content, you can listen to other sessions in podcast form on this Fidelity Connects podcast. Just click the See All Episodes button in your respective podcast app. Also, for full video replays of the Focus 2023 event, advisors should reach out to their Fidelity rep and investors should head to fidelity.ca slash the upside and sign up for the upside newsletter. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's start off with the big picture stuff first. There's a lot of moving parts, right? There's macroeconomics, there's central banks and how they're interfering, there's finances, there's the whole thing. Give me your overview first. Okay, so I did ask you to start with this, so it's To be good. fair. Yep. Yes, um, let's get this over with. I have no clue about the macro. I think it is very difficult to get that right. Wow, there's people way over there, high over there. Um, and over here too. And wait, oh my gosh. They just get to see my back. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to move forward. So the um, macro is incredibly difficult right now. Uh, I just read this morning, ISI, a very well-respected economist, is saying 68% chance of a recession in the next you know, six to nine months. Um, yield curve's inverted. Economy is clearly slowing down. You know, empl- employment is getting worse. People are getting fired. So we all, we all know this stuff. And then, and then the market's kind of going up, and everyone's like, what the hell's going on? I think that um, what's happening is, and I, I think it's a, a positioning thing from the investment standpoint. This is the most discounted recession in history. We can all see it coming. We all know it's coming. And everybody got ready for it really early. And now we're all stuck in this position where we're all defensive. And waiting for the big drop, right? So everyone in this room remembers the last two recessions. We've had like the big drop and everything's fell to fall apart. And maybe we get that again and we're all waiting for it. And so what the market is saying, well, you're all waiting for this big drop in this massive recession we're going to have. And it might not happen because we've already pre-positioned for it. 
So the, the question then becomes is, well, how bad is the recession? And the answer is nobody knows. Um, I would argue it's probably not gonna be as bad as the last two we've experienced because balance sheets are in good shape, everyone's got lots of money still. Um, I think inflation has peaked and is coming down. I think a lot of things are starting to normalize after the pandemic. And I think it's more of a, like a mid-90s sort of recession, which you know, I, I call a garden variety recession. So if you have a garden variety recession in a period of time where most balance sheets are in pretty good shape, and the economy's not actually that bad. There's no structural impairment with the exception of banks who have too many treasuries. Um, I, I just don't think it's gonna be that bad. But I think it's, 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 it's definitely keeping a lid on the exuberance. So there's no exuberance, and there shouldn't be, because we are going to slow down. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We can all have our own opinion as to it's gonna be a hard landing, a medium landing, a soft landing, a no landing, I don't know, pick your favorite vernacular. Um, so I think it's impossible to get it right. And so what I've basically said is I'm just shelving the entire discussion. I'm going to try and own the companies that I want to own um, for the next, let's say, two to three years. I'm really focused on what companies are going to look like in 2025, which is not this or next year. Because I can, and, some, and you're saying, well, that's, that's two, years ago, two years away. There's actually a lot of visibility in this market. You, in a lot of the stocks that I'm investing in, which are growth names in general, um, we are always looking at the future. You know, a lot of my stocks are looking at 2026, 2027. And so I have line of sight on some of the fundamentals in my, in my space that maybe you don't have in, in the shorter cycle, you know, like consumer discretionary transportation space. And that's what I'm focused on. So I'm going to ignore this recession. I don't care when it happens, what, what it looks like. I just don't care. And I'm gonna buy companies that I wanna own that I think have really great fundamentals that fit my strategy that, you know, in 2025, you're gonna wake up and go, wow, why didn't I buy that company two years ago when it was, you know, 10 times earnings or whatever? So I think the best way to approach the impending recession is to ignore it and invest through it. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm actually finding tremendous number of opportunities using that framework and not spending too much time worrying about which quarter of the year we're gonna have the bottom or when employment's gonna just blow up, like, who cares? Ignore it. Um, that's what I'm doing. Um, I don't know what you, you guys can do, what you wanna do, but that's what I'm, my strategy and my fund. Okay, so you're, you're two uh, go, you were defensive. Is it fair to say you're offensive now? I am offensive. I own a lot of offense. I believe in owning the things that have secular trends behind them. Um, I, growth, no question, growth has had a very tough two years, and that's because the Fed's been raising rates. And so as interest rates went up, the price of all the nice fancy growth stocks came down and they came down really hard. That process is, is done, right? So it looks as though inflation has rolled, um, rates have peaked. So I no longer have to worry about the fact that the multiples are too expensive or you know, multiples are gonna compress anymore. And it, it's sort of safe to go swimming in growth land again because I don't have to worry about this valuation head, headroom that I have a problem with. Um, so it's been really great, actually. Rates for me peaked in October, and the market has felt much better for my style of growth investing since October. And the stocks have worked beautifully since that time. I mean, there was a weird period about two weeks in December when we had tax loss selling, and then it bounced in January. But in general, if you are picking the correct growth stocks right now, you are making decent returns, no question. Okay. Which wasn't true. Let's talk ago. about offense because it came up last time you and I were chatting. Mm -hmm. You were looking at artificial intelligence yeah. and that has exploded. Oh, exploded. Um, if anything, I was not aggressive enough. 
Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so I, I spent a lot of time adding to my favorite, like, hold them the horsemen of AI, you know, NVIDIA, AMD. Um, it's very difficult in my funds to get overweight Microsoft, Google, et cetera. They're so big in the benchmark, but they're also what I consider to be horsemen in AI. And it's interesting, a lot of the press commentary is, there's, there's been lots of press, you know, AI this, AI that, and, you know, it's going to ruin the world and all kinds of nonsense. Um, and then there's been a lot of, in the financial press about AI as to, this is peak AI, please stop with the hype, it's, just ignore it. Um, what I would say is, if anything, the hype is not high enough. Um, we are spending a ton of time in my office, actually, in, in San Francisco. Most of the companies are actually in San Francisco. Uh, we spend a lot of time on this thing called generative AI, which you all know, ChatGPT is, is an example of that. But it is so much broader than just a chatbot. Uh, the things you can do with video, the things you can do with music, the things you can do with anything, really, that you create is truly unbelievable. We had a meeting with this company called Tome AI. You can look it up. You should all look it up. Go play with it. It's unbelievable. You want to build a presentation, like a world-class presentation, you can probably do it in 10 minutes using this tool on any topic. Pick a topic. I don't know. My favorite shoe, or tell me about spoons, or whatever you want and it will auto-generate a presentation, and then you can basically go in and you can mess around with the slide it chose or the pictures it chose and hit regenerate until you get the things you want. It's a great starting point, and it'll probably save you weeks, right? Like, how many interns spent their entire summer doing presentations for banking? Like, tons. This is one tool, it's four months old, they have four million downloads already, and it's just like version, it's not even version 1.0, it's like, in beta, it says beta right on it, and it's incredible. And that is one example. So just think about when Microsoft or Google starts embedding this type of generative AI in, their, in your Word document, and you go to Word, and you know how it currently says open blank document, open letter, open blah. What if it says open essay on any topic, right? Or I have to do some really boring letter to somebody, and you can just hit the button and bang, there it is, and the way you send it. Like, it's gonna transform white collar work. And it's gonna happen quickly, and it's gonna be incredibly disruptive. And it's really hard to figure out who wins, but it's not so hard to figure out who loses. It's pretty obvious who the losers of this are. A, white collar employment. B, anybody who has software that creates anything of any kind. If you own a platform, you are probably in pretty good shape because the stuff on your platform will continue to get better. So if you're like Facebook, and you have all this like reels, and all, that, all of that stuff will get better, and your targeting will get better, the ad spending will get better. So there are clear winners. Most of them are currently mega caps. And one of the reasons that we're seeing the mega caps work is because they're all feeding into this AI thing. And, and you're like, well, AI, we talked about AI seven years ago, but we didn't have any tools. Now we have tools. And these tools is similar to when mobile happened and when the internet happened. They are transformative 10 years of like massive disruption from this generative AI and that's not even talking about the other things that AI is doing. Like they're using AI to do biotech and all kinds of other things. But generative AI is the easy one for us to look at and go, oh my gosh, it's going to save me so much time. So it's a huge deal. It is a macro trend that you can invest in. It is one that we can ignore the cycle. I'm going to just ignore the recession. I just don't care. So you want to own this stuff in AI because for the next five years, it's going to just power ahead. And the winners are going to win. And then there will be a whole host of smaller companies that come out of that. But we don't know what they are. 
I spent um, all last week with my team trying to whiteboard this problem, right? So we have all these whiteboards and we start drawing lines and who wins and who loses and, and, and it, it is too complex. It is way too hard. And so what we do in our job is to figure out not necessarily who's gonna win, but we go and we talk to all these companies and we turn over the rocks. And so the key right now is just to talk to companies. And it's one of those things where you don't know what's a good idea until you see it. Like this Tome AI, like I had never, I'd never even heard of this company. And then we met them at a conference in Silicon Valley and played with the tool, went, oh my God, this thing's incredible. So that's what we're doing now, is we're turning over rocks. Most of these companies are still private. They're small, they're five people in a garage. They're energized, they're changing the world. So, you know, they always get excited about that. Um, but it truly is changing the world. And so it's very exciting to find a big theme in the middle of this mess. And it's interesting, if you, if you go back to 2007, when we had the last massive recession, right? And you know, with housing blew up and the whole world fell apart, that's when mobile really started. So that's when the phone, iPhone came out. Mm. The iPhone had been out for like, I don't know, nine months and everything blew up. But the one stock that didn't blow up is Apple. It never really went down. It kind of went sideways, it massively outperformed the market. And that's because it was the key technological enabler of the mobile revolution. So I think that's what you're gonna see this time. And I think that's why you're seeing some of these stocks like Microsoft and Google and Nvidia just go up. Because the market's saying, if you, if you just ignore the slowdown and ignore the recession, three years from now, we're gonna need so much more of all the things that these companies are doing that I just don't care about the recession. And so it's a really good place to be. It's very hard as a portfolio manager to, to outperform that type of market for me because Microsoft's 10% of my benchmark, NVIDIA's eight, Google's nine. I, I can't own more than 10% of any, any stock. I think, <laughs> it's, I think it's gonna be a, a really great relative period for some of these really big growth stocks. And I couldn't have said that two years ago. And the only reason I can say that now is because there is this giant theme. I think interest rates have peaked. And the third thing that I think a lot of investors aren't paying as much attention to is a lot of these big companies realized they did a lot of stupid things, right? They had, they had too much food for their employees. They had way too many employees, way too many high-priced employees who were doing nothing. I, I tell the story about visiting Google, oh, even a year ago, and you'd walk in, beautiful building, there were 12 people behind the counter get, taking names and handing name tags to us. And I, you know, I always like to talk to the people, and you know, who, who are you, where are you from, da da And you know, they were all probably in their mid-20s, and it was like Stanford grad. MIT grad, Harvard grad, and they're handing out name tags to me. And I'm thinking, these kids are probably making half a million dollars a year to hand me a name tag. <laughs> How dumb is that? And they all, they, they all did it. Facebook, Google, Amazon, everyone. Um, and I can remember going into these meetings and you, you would sit across the table from Zuck and he'd be like telling you this lovely stuff and then you're like, why are you hiring 20,000 people a month? And they're like, well, we want to own all the best people so that no one else can. I said, well, everyone else is doing the same damn thing. There were, there were um, blogs that would show you like all the different people getting hired at Google and the, and the kids would just basically text each other and say, I got an offer from Google and now I'm going to Amazon. Like, they game the system. So big companies did a lot of stupid things on the hiring front. They're finally starting to rationalize. And the funny story on that is the first time they cut 20,000 employees at Facebook, I'll use Facebook as an example because I've talked to them about it. They, um, their, their operation got better. They got more efficient. 
And I think it was a big eye-opening moment of, wow, we're actually getting better with fewer employees. And so they've continued to do it. And I think a lot of these other technology companies who have really good businesses that all of us in the financial world have been yelling at them for years of, please show us some profit, you know, some profit would be great, um, are also starting to do the same. And so in addition to like a secular theme and the fact that the multiples are probably done compressing, you have companies that are um, rationalizing their businesses. So even if their top line doesn't go up a lot, we have this recession, right? You know, top lines go sideways for some of these big companies. Their earnings are probably still gonna go up because they can still rationalize their operations. So the market cares about earnings, and I think that these companies are gonna massively outperform in that sort of environment. So it's interesting, it's been, it's been a tough couple of years for growth. Um, there are a lot of losers, so there's a lot of secular losers, a lot of dumb companies got funded that shouldn't really exist and probably all go to zero. But there's some really good companies and they're doing really well right now relative to the rest of the market. And I don't have to worry about what China's doing or you know what, what we're doing on the housing front or trucking or who cares. All I have to do is say, this company in three years is gonna be better than it is today. Earnings are gonna be up because they're cutting costs. The multiple is probably gonna go up because they're growing faster than the market. Oh, and AI is really cool and so people get excited about it. And that's kind of how I'm attacking the market. Now there are other parts of the market that are also experiencing secular growth that are, is now safe to own. Um, they are no longer massively expensive, um, at least in my book, the value team will tell you otherwise. You know, this feels, and the way you speak, is very much like the internet bubble that mm -hmm. happened 20 some odd years ago. And uh, it wasn't really investable. Mm -hmm. Except if you bought the backbone, as you indicated, Apple lived through it, and now the backbones are the Microsofts, the Googles, and the mm -hmm. NVIDIAs. Mm -hmm. How investable are tools and apps? Not. Right. It's impossible. So do you put them in your private sleeve? We're, we're looking for ideas. So most of them are private. Um, there are very few companies that are innovating at scale in the public landscape on AI, right? Um, in most cases, their businesses are being disintermediated, and they will no longer exist as a company or in the current form. So the public companies, they're, they're slowly dying, right? And it's all the, the, the private ones that are coming on. Now, the other, the other thing I would say is, in any cycle, we're gonna get some of these losers wrong. Um, another example is some of the music companies. There's a theory, and I don't know if it's true or not, that uh, ultimately, uh, you know, AIs will generate the music that you wanna to listen to continuously forever, and it will always be new and random, and you won't necessarily need artists as much anymore. And I think that's pretty scary if you're an artist like a Universal Music Group, let's say. I don't know if that's true, but you can start to see it and you can see it in the quality of the art that you're finding from the generative AI and, the, and you've already seen the, the AI spoof current artists. I, this is gonna really change things and I think that some of these theories could prove to be true and could prove to be unfounded, but the market's pricing everything. Beyond AI, let's talk about tech spending because last time mm -hmm. you and I talked about it, you were referencing cyclicality in technology and mm -hmm. spending. We're, so I take it that that's... Oh, no, it's still coming down. Oh. So uh, Amazon already said that cloud spending was coming down. Um, and that's part of the rationalization, rationalization thesis. So a lot of these small companies that shouldn't exist will slowly disappear and they will spend less on cloud. So cloud in general continues to have headwinds which does keep you cautious. Um, cloud spending is slowing and will be a headwind. Um, you know, that's the problem, we're in a slowing economy. 
So you've got this, this push and pull, mm -hmm. there's, and there's no question cause venue is going to continue to fall. From the app, uh, what's your opinion on semiconductors? So semis are very economically sensitive. They really worked well from October, October low. It really feels as though auto is going to flatline to maybe come down. So there's a whole host of um, semiconductors that are tied into the EV auto story, which are growth semis. But if auto production comes down because it's really hard to get a loan to buy a car, it doesn't feel like they're going to work that well. So I think semis are a tough group, X, the um, AI story. And I don't have a huge amount of exposure with the exception of NVIDIA and AMD. Last time we chatted, we also talked about cyclicals, funny enough, on the mm -hmm. offensive side of the discussion. Uh, commodities has probably played out. What are your current thoughts? Um, so okay, commodities look tough because China's you know, not falling apart, but slowing. Um, and they probably don't work that well. Um, I don't have a big bet in commodities. And, well, my Canadian funds, I own, I own commodities because it's big in the benchmark, but I don't have a big bet in that space, with the exception of gold, which I own gold. Um, energy doesn't look great at all. OPEC's cut several times, the economy's slowing. There was a really good article in the New York Times about Norway, if anyone read that, and, and Norway's the farthest along in terms of getting carbon out of their economy. It's funny, they're selling lots of oil, but they're not using it. Uh, it's a very interesting read to see what an economy will look like, our economy will look like maybe in five to 10 years, and how little oil is part of it. And that was always the secular thesis for me in oil, and I always said oil's going to zero, and then it went to 120. Um, I think it's going back to zero again, um, because the secular forces are really, really powerful. And it's going to be hard, barring another massive land war in Europe, which I don't think we're going to have. Uh, I don't think you're going to see oil go back to 120. And that's good for the economy. It's good for the inflation story, right? So if oil continues to just sit here or slowly grind lower, inflation's not a problem. We don't have to have interest rates at 10% or wherever we were at. And it is not common belief that inflation will fall. Everything you read is inflation is sticky, and it's going to take a long time. It's going to... I don't know that that's true. Uh, it is collapsing in China, and China seems to be a little bit ahead of us. So maybe our inflation rates come down a lot faster than we think, especially if we start you know, rationalizing employment. White-collar um, employment losses start to really accelerate. You're not going to have an inflation problem, and rates are going to come down. So nobody really believes that. It's always sticky for longer. and. The Fed's telling you they're going to keep rates there forever. The market's saying they're going to cut. Somewhere in between is the answer. Um, so I think inflation is, is definitely coming down. Why gold and how are you playing at companies? Or So I have a weird portfolio. So I have, I have the secular growth themes, which is AI. Hmm. Um, I've got a bunch of these cyclicals that I really like on 2025 earnings, but look awful right now. So I'm buying like some stuff that's getting bombed. And I don't care because I know in 2025 it's going to be fine. And then I own what's called the early cyclical trade. So my belief is that inflation has peaked and is going to come down, and the Fed is going to eventually cut rates. And every single time that happens, it's good for gold, it's good for Bitcoin, it's good for home builders. So I own all three. And so the idea is that when we finally do come to the other side of that cycle, these are the, these are the groups you're going to want to own anyway. And the market's already starting to price that. Like The market already is getting ahead of that a little bit um, because all three of those groups are up a lot. The market's saying rates cuts are coming. And you don't have to believe the market. You can argue with the market all you want. Just tell me what the market's, what's the market saying. So I own those groups for the early cycle trade for a rate-cutting cycle. So if inflation falls, the Fed brings down rates, all three of those groups are going to go up. So I have, a, I have this strange portfolio. I have, I have the early cycle trade, which is not defense, by the way. These are not defensive stocks. Like You need the economy to start to get better again. Or actually, you need the market. 
economy get really bad, so the Fed cuts. I've got the secular growth theme, which I really like, and there are a couple of those growth themes. And then I am buying really bombed out cyclicals that are going down every day that um, I think will work in 2025. So and in no part of what I've talked about is defense, right? I still own some defensive stocks, like some grocery stores and whatnot, but in general, those are going out the door and I am buying offense, not defense. Oh, healthcare was one of them gone. I own healthcare, I own a lot of biotech. And so my funds are not defensive. I do not believe in the end of the world. Actually, I kind of believe in the end of the world. I just don't care about the end of the world. <laughs> um, I'm building my funds for the other side. Like if we have the end of the world, as usual, my funds will go down with the benchmark. I will not lose to the benchmark though. So if we go, and I think we had the bottom in October. So at worst, at worst, we go back to the October low, and then we're gonna bounce really hard because the Fed will start cutting rates. And like, why would you wanna be defensive now? It's just the, the dumbest thing. Um, so, so honestly, I, I'm playing offense. Um, I'm playing what I consider to be good offense. I own a little bit of trash, but I'm mostly buying things I can really sink my teeth into. And this, the stocks are working. They're just working beautifully. And they're not, like Facebook's not expensive on any metric. I don't care what you, what you say. So, I don't know. Okay, we're down to the last minute or so. I, you strongly advocated for active ETFs. Why and what are your thoughts? Oh. Um, because you're gonna be a candidate. I think it gives people flexibility. So, you know, if you're in a different jurisdiction, for example, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a Canadian to buy an ETF, right? Right. So you have to be a Canadian to buy a, a Canadian mutual fund. It just gives people more flexibility and lets them do more things with their portfolio. I, I own ETFs in, in my personal account because it's just easier sometimes, right? It's easier to get exposure quickly. Uh, there's less compliance internally for me to, to deal with. Um, so I think it's a great tool to add to the toolbox. And I, you know, I think all of us should have active ETFs. I think it's, just, it's another way for people to get exposure to what they want to get exposure to. Mark, thanks so much for making the trip up. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you tomorrow.